A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Let's talk about a real profile in courage. A real profile in courage is these people who sacrifice so much to run for president getting together and saying, okay, who's going to step down so one of us can step forward? This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Today, we're going to be sharing our analysis of the ninth, not 90th, just it feels like that, of the ninth Democratic debate. But before we jump in, rush to your computers, pick up your phone, go to pantsuitpoliticsshow.com slash events and get your tickets to our spring tour. We're going to D.C., Philly, Boston, New York. Four nights in a row. It's going to be incredible. And the tickets are on sale. So go get you some tickets. We're very excited. Also, if you enjoy watching debates with us on social media, we're about to take it to the next level. In the show notes today and in our newsletter that goes out today as well, you will find a link 
for Hot Mic, an invitation to join us there. Hot Mic is an app where you can watch the debate with us. So you will see our faces together on the screen, synced up with the debate as you watch it, and you can see our real-time reactions. And I'm just saying that if you are one of the many people who enjoyed the eye-rolling laughing gif that we have going, I think this is going to be for you. I mean, I'm sad we didn't have it going last night because I was making some loud noises captured partly in Insta stories. It was a feisty, feisty debate. This is how the two of us react, right? Because Sarah reacts through sound and I react through facial expression. Someone told me once that I have more facial expressions than anyone she's ever seen. And I just think that people will get to experience the range of your verbal reactions <laughs> and my facial cues through this format. So I'm excited. So last night, the reason I was making so many sounds is everybody came out swinging in the first five minutes, particularly Senator Elizabeth Warren, which, side note, I think was strategically smart because lots of people don't watch it all the way through the end. Although I don't know. If, I would like to see the numbers on this one because it was so high energy. I wonder how many people actually tuned out. Anyway... In the first, gosh, two minutes, she, I mean, I feel comfortable using the term eviscerated. She said, we have a billionaire who calls women fat and horse face lesbians. And I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Michael Bloomberg. And the whole audience went, <gasps> it was crazy, crazy. I really wish that I had been in that room last night because there were several moments when there was a perceivable audience reaction, but I couldn't tell exactly what that reaction was. And I wish I could have just felt the energy as this was unfolding because there were so many moments like that one that were very highly personal, both on the delivery end and the receiving end. I wish I could have experienced what that felt like in the room. Particularly with Elizabeth Warren, you know, the last debate, I was disappointed in her performance. I felt like it was kind of quiet after she got lost in the I even though she was third, she kind of got lost in the Iowa caucus meltdown and then in the New Hampshire primary. And so, I mean, I think she she knew and I think she was right that if she did not make an impact in this debate, her moment was gone. And she made an impact. She went after Bloomberg. The best moment, in my personal opinion, is when she went full Socratic method on him about the non-disclosures, non-disclosure agreements he has with many former employees of his company. She was like, some? How many? How many? You're going to release them on TV? So if you're if and he's like, well, it's consensual because I told a bad joke and the crowd booed him because that's a terrible freaking response to a question he knew was coming. And she was like, how many can you really let's just let's release them on air right now? Why don't you say if they want to talk about it, you're OK with that. And he like rolled his eyes at her. But she was like a dog with a bone, man. She was not giving it up. It was interesting to watch because I think what I learned about Bloomberg last night is that he is so painfully typical mm. in being incredibly comfortable with his own wealth and power in every context except when it comes to accountability for personal interactions. That when he was asked, did you deserve to make as much money as you have? Yes, absolutely. I worked hard for it. I'm giving it away. Completely comfortable with how differently situated he is from most people in the world mm -hmm. in that context. But when it comes to understanding that because he is completely differently situated than almost everyone in the world, he has a different responsibility in one-on-one -on -one interactions, he would not accept that accountability. And just saying in a conclusory way, 
I'm against everything that's been exposed by the Me Too movement, and then saying there has been no problem with my behavior other than people not liking jokes I told shows that you don't get it. And I think that what Senator Warren did so skillfully was both kind of give all of us who've had frustrating conversations like this the relief of someone finally Mm -hmm. calling you on it Mm -hmm. and also stir in me the sadness that that attitude is the pervasive attitude still that she didn't like some jokes I told is still out there and alive and that a lot of people are going to watch that moment and also sympathize with him. And it was just kind of it, I think it was both a relief and sort of heartbreaking for me to watch that exchange because she was piercing and clear and correct. And he was typical. And, and it was hard. Just prickly. And I think the other really smart strategy she seemed to be performing is this idea of, You don't think I can take on Donald Trump? Well, here's my practice round. You don't think I can put hard questions and hold a rich male bombastic billionaire? I don't know if Michael Bloomberg's bombastic, but whatever. I don't know if Donald Trump's a billionaire. So there you go. (laughs) Who knows? There you go. Watch me do it. And I, you know, I forget she has all those and many, many pundits have brought it up today that like some of her best sort of viral moments before she ran for president was were questioning bank executives at hearings. And she just go and she just needles and needles and needles and needles and needles. Um, and she's just so good at it. And I think she, I mean, listen, she went hard at everybody. I thought that it was incredibly impactful when she said, I've read the other healthcare plans and Pete's is a PowerPoint and Amy's is a post-it note. And like, I thought that sort of visual like you can criticize mine all you want, but the details aren't there for yours, was really, really good, too. I mean, she came to play, and I think she did what she needed to do, which was get some earned media, um, remind everybody that she's the third place. Um, and, you know, I what I struggle with is I just look at that stage, and I know debate performance doesn't make or break a president because Donald Trump failed miserably at all three debates, and he is still president. But... I just see her to me, like when I look at that stage, I'm like, why can't we all see she's like a really <laughs> good compromise? Because we don't want to blow off the progressive wing of the party. And the only candidate up there that Bernie people might even entertain, although some of them won't even do that, is her. You have a female candidate. You have a capitalist that doesn't carry that socialist label that we spent a lot of time talking about last night. Just all these things. But And I hope that I'm not the only one that looks at that stage and sees that, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Well, you're not. I mean, Twitter erupted in uh, Senator Warren's praise. And I understand why. I think that one thing she did really effectively in that sense of showing who can take the case to Trump that was a contrast with Senator Klobuchar was show that she can both dish out and receive Mm -hmm. and maintain the same demeanor. Uh, If I were writing a a long form piece today, it would be called The Pain of Amy Klobuchar. My heart broke for her at several points during this debate. My empathy was just like over the charts. Mm -hmm. I've been very tough on her here on this podcast, thinking about the staff treatment stories. And I feel like in this debate, we got the glimpse of the other side of that. I think probably one of the worst things that's happened to her professionally was missing the name of the Mexican president when she was asked about it. And you could see the rawness of that. And you could feel almost all of the life experiences that have Mm -hmm. told her you can't 
miss one thing. You have to be perfect. You have to be better than perfect every single time. And I could just, I hated that interaction between her and, and Buttigieg because I both think that he is correct, that it's not a trivial thing to not know the Mexican president's name, especially when you've served on committees dealing in trade with Mexico and security at the border. And I think it says a lot about America that most of us can name Justin Trudeau, but not President mm-hmm. Obrador. And I mean, that's not specific to Amy Klobuchar, right? There's a there's a whole lot of racism embedded in our understanding of Canada more than Mexico. Um, but anyway, I hated that moment between the two of them because I think he was right about that. And I don't think he intended it as personally as it came across and and certainly not as personally as she took it. But that just it was this moment that really illustrated the humanity of these folks. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think it hurt her so badly that she made that mistake. And then to have it feel like he was exploiting it, um, it, it was just it was sad for me. And and I think that the bigger picture impact is that if you are looking for the contrast to Donald Trump of a very tough woman. What you saw is that Senator Warren is probably better positioned to take the incoming from him. Amy Klobuchar's face when Elizabeth Warren defended her is something it will take me. I'm like tearing up about it. You could just see like her face go, thank you. Like, And look, she wasn't always happy with Elizabeth Warren through that debate. She got very frustrated with her several times. Amy Klobuchar bolted off that stage, didn't so much as brush past any of the other candidates, which I thought was also telling. But when Elizabeth Warren was like, we all forget names, that's not the point. The point is, do you if you forgot policy or if you got something else wrong, that's a big deal. And again, I take Pete's point, too, because it's not just that it's that she leans on that hyper competence. Yes. You know. She leans on it. She says, this is why I'm the right person because I've experienced it. I don't mess up. And so to mess up so publicly is problematic. Not because he thinks you're dumb, but because you've built this message. Your narrative is I'm the hyper-competent one. And that's what's so hard when she said, do you think I'm dumb? It just broke my heart because it was like for a second we heard the inner voice. And I just hate that for her so much. I wish I could spend today sitting with her talking about that. But but also, I think Biden's point, which was so awkwardly and clumsily interjected, is a true one, that this isn't about uh, trivial pursuit. Foreign policy is about relationships. Yeah. And it's a different thing to be a senator on a committee looking at the policy versus the person who has to develop that rapport with one of the most important world leaders that you'll interact with while you're in office. When she said that, do you think I'm stupid? Like that that could, that could be a real moment of revelation for her. And I, you know, I, I'm not hopeful that that will happen, but I did. I really, really, I really hated it for her. I hated it for everyone. And, and I hate it for all the women who feel exactly that way. I think that's why it just touched me on so many levels because that was a hundred percent real there was just nothing in that that was staged and you know she's probably has some right to be like oh my gosh seriously i mean joe biden is a gaff machine right. you know like yes. and it's not like he he does get questions sometimes but he's not made to stand up there and be like 
And I honestly, I don't really know what the woman wanted her, the moderator wanted her to say beyond I'm sorry. What would have been a good enough? I mean, sometimes those questions, the, it seems like the only thing the moderator wants them to say is, yeah, it was such a big deal. I'll just drop out right here on the spot. I mean, she said she was sorry. She made a mistake. What did you want her to say? Yeah, I'm fundamentally unqualified to tackle the foreign policy as president of the United States. Like, come on. I don't I'm really not sure what she was even looking for. I felt that way about a lot of the questions last night, that they were intended to provoke the kind of pylon that, that they did provoke instead mm-hmm. of actually get to an issue. And I don't mean that in the sense of I can't handle the conflict in these debates. I did not enjoy watching this debate. It doesn't mean I think that it was a bad debate. I think it was probably the debate that was needed in this particular moment in the primary. Miserable as it was for me, I do think seeing how people handle that kind of conflict is important. I just sort of felt like NBC pushed that more than they needed to with their questions. And it would have been a more interesting debate had the questions not been so one-on-one Sunday morning show interview style when they were going after people. You know what I mean? I'm not really sure we've all agreed on what we're looking to get out of here, what we're looking to get out of these debates. I, you know, there's there's no answers unavailable to people that the debates are going to expose, as far as I'm concerned. Like, almost what they do more than anything else is expose response under pressure, really um, lays out in the open questions we all have. Like, it really bugs me, this narrative that, well, Bernie's the front runner and nobody really went after him. I mean, first of all, I don't think that's true. I think Michael Bloomberg calling him a communist, even though I agree it was a cheap shot. Buttigieg took a number of shots at him, too. Yeah. And I think that gets at the people's concerns about Bernie. But like, to me, I don't think the other candidates are unwise to not spend a ton of time attacking him because to what end? His people are not going to go over to you. You know, like, so what what? He has a massive amount of fundraising that I'm not sure anything could happen in a debate that would undercut that, right? What's going to change the people who send Bernie every month that could possibly happen in a debate? And they're not, you're not going to persuade them. So you're fighting over the people who've decided Bernie is not for them. So I don't understand when people are like, nobody went after Bernie. What do you want them to do? I'm not, and I think that. In the ways that we all know the problems with Bernie, they did talk about that. They talked about the socialism and how that freaks Americans out. They talked about how he doesn't explain how they're going to pay for Medicare for all. I mean, the culinary union was like, might as well have been on the stage. They got tons of time talking about that they're angry at Bernie for Medicare for all and his people are going after the culinary union. I thought there was a really good conversation. I thought one of Pete's most effective lines was real leaders don't just set rules, basically, but they bring out what a leader is what you bring out in people. And if Bernie is Bernie supporters are so trolly in a lot of ways, not every Bernie supporter, but a lot of them, then what does that say about your leadership style? And I loved it when Elizabeth Warren was like, look, we're all responsible for our supporters. I think that's a really interesting question. Yeah. And so I think like I think that he did the in that we all know what the issues are. They did get time. I just Again, I'm not really sure what the moderators are looking for when they ask these things or when the pundits put forward this analysis that nobody went after Bernie. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you that Bernie's support is not soft support and and that Mm -hmm. is not fertile ground for anybody else. And also for the people who are not inclined to vote for Bernie, you don't it's kind of like Trump. You don't need somebody to to prosecute the case because it's self-evident in what he says. If you are not with him, just listening to him makes you more not with him for the most part. It's the same with Donald Trump. Here's a question that I have, and I do not mean this as criticism. It's a genuine question to which I don't know the answer. There is so much conversation in these debates about how difficult it will be to beat Donald Trump. And so much of Donald Trump's power is in marketing. And I wonder what it would be like if everyone collectively decided to talk about beating Donald Trump like it's a given. Mm. Like we trust Americans to decide that that show is canceled, that we trust Americans not to reelect only the third person in our history who's been impeached, that, of course, Americans are not going to vote for an administration that voluntarily separated children from their families just for the spite of it. And and what I just wonder how that might shift things a little bit if we said, of course, Donald Trump is an unacceptable choice. Now, the question is, what's the best vision What's the best alternative? I just I when I hear things like, you know, we need the biggest turnout ever to beat him. And I don't mean that as an attack on Sanders. That's just the line that's sticking with me because he's good at that. He's great at creating lines that stick with you. But there's so much discussion that really pumps up Trump as this person who it will require a Herculean effort on a sunny day and maybe some incantations to beat him. And and I just That kind of makes me sad, and I wish it could be reframed. Well, I think the reason that is the narrative, and it's probably not going anywhere, is because in 2016, we all did act like that, and he won. You know, of course America's not going to vote for this guy that says grab him by the— of course America's not going to vote for this thrice-divorced, lying, bombastic narcissist. You know, like, of course that's not going to happen. And it did. And so I think that people are just still so— I don't know if traumatized is the right word, but just the impact of feeling like, of course, he's not going to win. And then him, I will never, ever, 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 as long as I live, forget Lin-Manuel Miranda on Saturday Night Live, the Saturday after the Access Hollywood tape and him getting to the picture of Donald Trump in the hall and doing the little bit from Hamilton. Never going to be president now. No, he's never going to be. Never, never, as long as I live, will I ever forget that because I just think it's so indicative of that we did do that. We thought, of course, America's better than this. And so I think that that's that's the risk is we felt like we did that before and it didn't work. And so I think that's why everybody is really, really, really hesitant to take that approach again. Can I draw a distinction, though, because I think that's true and makes perfect sense. And also, I think you can run a campaign tactically that takes Trump very seriously while on the marketing side, repeating to Americans that we do not believe you'll do this again. Do you know Mm. what I mean? There is a difference between where you decide to put your money and what states you focus on, where you recognize the very real possibility that he wins again. And I do think it's a real one. I also think, though, that So much of what Trump does effectively, if we want to take a page from the Trump playbook, and you saw some of that on stage last night, unfortunately, and I think necessarily because I do think Americans are asking who can go one on one with him. 
But if we're going to take a page from his playbook, why not take that sense of inevitability? I just talk about things so they are and and see if it takes hold. He called Rush Limbaugh after he made that incredibly homophobic remark about Peter Jake and said, never apologize, never, ever apologize. Like he's just so <laughs> unapologetic in his shredding of norms, in his expansion of power, in his authoritarian policies, in his purging of any sort of real um, experience within the administration and within the wider executive branch and placing loyalists. I mean, it is scary. And that's the thing. Because he he is just set free and everybody's fear is so intense, I think that when people are in that fearful space, as most Americans are, and I'm sure as many Democrats are, it's hard to do that. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. your 
point that we don't really know what we're looking for. I do think that every debate so far has served a really specific purpose in the media cycle. And the missed opportunity, I think, last night was thinking more about personnel, because as you talked about with the president feeling free and empowered to reshape the personnel of his administration completely with loyalists now, I am in a personal state of despair about Richard Grinnell being named the acting director of national intelligence when he has, from what I can tell, absolutely no qualifications to do that job. And that is a job you need to be qualified for. And he's going to remain the ambassador to Germany while he does it. I don't understand at all. Anyway, that is a long aside to say, I really want to hear from these candidates how they're going to think about staffing up their administrations. I want to know how they think about the attorney general's role. I know that they're all going to say, it's not my attorney, it's the United States attorney, the Department of Justice needs to be independent. But beyond that, I'm ready for people to name some names. Yeah, I don't think that's likely. They're too busy. I mean, because I think the reason they don't want to name anybody else's name is because their only desperate goal is to get their names out there more, especially when they're up against Michael Bloomberg's flood of advertising. And I think that's what I came away thinking a lot about, too, is you could just hear their anger and frustration. And you know what? I don't blame them. Can you even fathom the sacrifices these human beings have made over the last year or more out there traveling, out there working hard, many of them while serving in the United States Senate. Can you imagine what it's like to know Cory Booker, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, to see how what thoughtful, hardworking, brilliant, experienced people they are go out under these bullshit donation requirements where they're spending more money to get the donors than they have to do to to witness all that, to make those sacrifices, to work so hard and then watch Michael Bloomberg come in and spend money and get on the debate stage. You know, they all went for him. And I don't blame them for one millisecond. I know some people don't like to witness those kind of conflicts and debates, but there was just a part of me that's like, man, I cannot blame you guys for being so angry at his presence on that stage. He needed to answer those questions, and and I think he answered them in ways that were character-revealing, and we're not going to get that character reveal through his advertising. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't for a second think that anything that happened with Bloomberg was out of bounds at all. And I think the way he handled himself shows the weakness of his candidacy. Now, can he blanket the airwaves and diminish the impact of this debate? Yes, I think he can, because so many people are never going to watch one of these things and aren't going to read, you know, a Washington Post editorial about how he handled himself. And so in a sense, he can pull out of the debate some of his stronger points. I thought he was good talking about climate change. That's an area that plays to his strengths where you can talk about data And you can be very pragmatic about relationships with other countries to move the needle. I think he is in some ways right that the conversation about economics in this party is in a very niche space when you're just talking to the Democratic base. I think that can be overplayed. Uh, But I don't think he's wrong about some of that. I I noticed that we quickly pivoted from loving Latino entrepreneurs to how terrible the wealthy are. And so Mm. 
he has some things to work with out of this debate. And when you have unlimited resources, I keep hearing consultants talk about how they've never worked on a campaign where you can just execute any idea. Money is not an object. You can just do it. And so I think the effect of the debate will be blunted for him, especially because he wasn't really trying to win in Nevada and South Carolina anyway. And I absolutely get why they're all upset about that, especially somebody like Buttigieg, who has had to work so hard to get any name ID at all, every single place he's been. Yeah, it's it is a frustrating thing. And I don't know the answer to it. I don't know how the process can be shielded from that kind of influence without just within a party. You know what I'm saying? I I don't know how the Democratic Party insulates itself from that impact. Well, what I hope happens as the Democratic Party remembers that this is a party process and not an open national primary, despite Super Tuesday, which we should reconsider, everybody, is the question that came at the end of the debate, which is, um, should the nominee be able to become the nominee with just a plurality or should they get a majority of delegates? And everybody but Bernie said majority. And so I was thinking about it. and I'm like, well, what are the rules? And then I thought, what does it matter? They can vote on a rule change at the mm-hmm. party, at the party convention, which they should. I mean, clearly Bar- Bernie's anticipating that if he's talking about a second ballot count and the superdelegates and all these things. But I mean, I hope that we, after going through all this, if it just becomes, well, Bernie got a solid 30 percent at Super Tuesday, that's it. I'm going to be really frustrated as a Democrat. If we can't get through the primary process and we still have all these candidates, then we need to talk about a brokered convention and we need to talk about how what's the best compromise between the progressive wing or the moderate wing. Or if you put everybody together in the moderate wing, if that's an overwhelming majority, then which candidate is going to step forward? But they're not going to do that on their own. I mean, let's talk about a real profile and courage. A real profile and courage is these people who sacrifice so much to run for president getting together and saying, okay, who's going to step down so one of us can step forward? And I think all of them are of good character. I think that is highly unlikely, unfortunately, because that profile encourages when you give up power. And I don't see that happening with any of them because all of them have decent cases that they're the candidate. I mean, Pete has one more delegate than Bernie. And so I just think that it, we're just in a tough spot, and I don't want it to become just fait accompli because Bernie got a solid 35 percent, and that's all it takes in a field this big. Like, I think it needs to be a majority, and if that takes multiple counts and if that takes a broker convention, then that's what it takes. That's how we got Abraham Lincoln. At least the Republicans did. It ain't all bad. Two things. Thing number one, it seems to me that the most likely partnership if we were to see that prisoner's dilemma resolved, would be with Biden and Buttigieg. I feel like there are small moments of warmth between the two of them. I think that's probably the least effective way that that could go down, Mm -hmm. um, but is still the most likely. The second thing I wanted to ask you about is how what you're saying, which I wholeheartedly agree, agree with, gets momentum in a country where the conversation is much more with Bernie's worldview in terms of, you know, after after the Iowa caucus results reporting mess, I kept hearing we should just have one national primary. 
And the conversation is we should go with the national popular vote, not the Electoral College, and we should go with the raw vote totals instead of the delegate process. And I think there is this direct democracy momentum, even as we see all the limitations of direct democracy unfolding before us. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, I mean, what I think about a lot of times when I think about Bernie is... 
Remember when we were swimming in a sea of long reads and think pieces about how the Democratic Party left a certain proportion of the population rural, low-income, high school educated, white voters behind. Well, you best believe if we still all believe that. I mean, then we had then that then that idea jumped the shark and now it's not cool to say that. But if that's the the people we feel like the Democratic Party left behind, then those are definitely the people you see standing behind Bernie Sanders. For better or for worse, you can say what you want, but that's the truth. Um and so if the rank and file of the Democratic Party still see him, then maybe there's a case that this direct democracy thing really does reveal what the rank and file want and not what the party elites want. It's just, again, I think the direct democracy is falling apart under a tent that's gotten so big right now inside the Democratic Party. I know I keep beating this drum, but it's ju- it's not just the typical rank and file. It's not just who was a Democrat 10 years ago. It's who just became a Democrat in the last three years. It's new people, a new generation of voters coming into the party because basically almost every young person is a Democrat now. <laughs> so, like, it's just, it's it's a lot. And I think coming out of Iowa and thinking about this, watching people, you know, who say, well, you know, my sister-in-law didn't even know who Pete Buttigieg was. Like, I just think we're putting too much pressure on the individual voter to pick a nominee when picking a nominee isn't just about who has the best policies or who can win in one place. Like it's it's just, a, there's a lot to weigh. And I think there is a role for party insiders and party elites and all that to consider those factors because your average voter, especially people who don't care about politics, and there are a lot of them and that is okay, are not thinking about all that. I really admire how many of our listeners have been honest about the fact that they're still undecided. That is a mm-hmm. hard thing to say on social media in 2020. And I'm I'm grateful for the people who are saying, I am struggling with this decision. It's hard. I think it's hard. When I think about who is probably the right person to represent the Democratic Party as a party at this moment in our history, I do think it's Elizabeth Warren. And also, she is not the best person to represent what I am looking for in a president. And so I think... I watched the debate last night thinking again, I need a new place because without any criticism and with lots of respect, I just have a fundamentally different worldview on how the government should work. And there should be a home for that. Should I even be participating in a primary where I'm probably going to show up to dilute where the party actually is? Now, my one individual Mm. vote doesn't make much of a difference in in the calculation of how that turns out. But in the conversation, it does matter. And I think everyone's votes matter in that way. And I think a lot of people who really take the process seriously are weighing similar dynamics. And it illustrates perfectly that this is too much, even at the same time as people who feel like me are recognizing that there is too big a risk in trying to vote you know, outside of the two major parties in this particular election. Donald Trump is just making it hard. I think that's in summary. <laughs> and, and the real recap of the Democratic primary process, Donald Trump is making things very, very difficult for everyone involved. Evergreen. Evergreen. Evergreen and very measured. It's a very measured way to say it. Well done. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't worry. 
There's another Democratic debate, and we'll have the results of the Nevada caucus. In theory, again, we don't want to make any presumptions here next Tuesday. And then next Friday, we're going to come to you with one of our primers, five things you need to know about Medicare. And we have been influenced in thinking about this by many messages we've received from those of you with expertise in this field. Please keep those coming. Thank you so much for all the ways that you show up and help us work through our thinking and create a sense of connection with each other, because the most comforting thing to know in the midst of any election is that we are all in this together. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back with you here on Tuesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.